Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Would you remain standing with me for just a moment and join with me in prayer? God, thank you. God, your breath is in our lungs. And you are holy above all things. And so, Father, we come before your presence this morning, Lord. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would move and flow freely within us. God, we come bearing all kinds of things. And so, Father, we lay those things, our burdens, our doubts, our troubles, our fears, we lay them at your feet. Speak to us now this morning because you are holy. May we leave here different than we came because we are in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. My name is Austin Bracci. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm our director of groups here, and I have the pleasure of opening God's Word with you this morning. So if you would, open up your scripture to Matthew 6. As you're turning there, I have the privilege of um, carrying on a a series that Pastor Chris started last week called What Would Jesus Pray? And the goal of this series is to take a look at the instruction of Jesus that all of us, myself included, would would pray more frequently and more effectively. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to uh, attend a conference called Exponential, and I went to a breakout session, and this guy shared the story about how they were, he and his wife were reaching kind of retirement age, and so they did the retirement thing, and they purchased uh, a beautiful home uh, perched on a hill and uh, with foothills all around, and, um, and his wife said, I've always had this desire to have an apple tree in my yard. He said, well, Honey, I'm, I'm going to do that for you. So he went to the place where you buy apple trees and uh, yearlings or seeds or whatnot. And, um, and so he goes and gets the apple tree and he comes home and he finds the—he's like, well, where's the, where's the sun shining? And okay, let's, let's plant it here. So he digs and he plants his apple tree and a, you know, a year or two goes by and the, the tree itself self should be producing fruit and there's no apples on it. And she says, honey, I thought I was going to have apples in my backyard. What is happening here? He says, you know what? I'm gonna, I'll fix this. Like us men do, right? We fix everything. So he goes back to the store where um, he purchased this tree. And he goes to the man and he says, you, I want my money back. You sold me a defective apple tree. He says, what do you mean? He said, well, I planted it and there's no fruit growing and I, and I don't know what's going on. He says, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you plant it where it would get plenty of sunlight? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Did you, have you pruned it since it's grown? No, I didn't. It's an apple tree. I didn't know that I needed to, to prune it. He's like, okay, that's cool. What, are, what other apple trees are around it? Is it, um, is it, it just, has it had the chance to cross-pollinate? He's like, no, it's just one. We just wanted one apple tree. I didn't want a whole orchard. Like, just one. And so he's like, I'll, I'll tell you what's happening here. You're not growing apples. You're growing apple wood. And so um, the difference between growing apples and growing apple wood is you have to put work into it. You have to be—it has to be planted in the right position, and it has to be pruned properly, and it has to be cross-pollinating with other apples. And so as we think about our prayer life, I want to pose this question. Is our prayer life growing apple wood 
Is it something that just exists and we just let it be? Or is it something that we are working at that's producing fruit? And so this morning as we look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, I'm going to walk us through the text. And I think we're going to see uh, two things. We're going to see a king in his kingdom. And that's very important for where we're going. And at the end, I have three fruit-producing actions. So Matthew 6, uh, verse 9 through 13, it says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors or our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're looking at Jesus' instructions on how we should pray. And so I want to start with his first, first few words. I want to focus specifically in chapter 9 on one word. Pray then like this. In the CSB version of that, it says, Therefore you should pray like this. Notice that he says like this, not pray this. There's a, there's a, that's a, a very important distinguishment there. Because when, we, when, we, when it becomes pray this, the, the temptation there is that it becomes a ritual thing. Just a ritual habit that um, it, it, it doesn't really mean much. We just say it and we, and we go on about our day. But, but Jesus is speaking to the nature of prayer, which is about relationship. Relationship. When, it, when it's ritual, it's something like my football team would do. We'd have a coach come in. We'd, we'd, we'd done our warm-ups. We'd come back and we're getting ready. And he would say, touch somebody! So we'd all gather around and get our knees and we got pads on and it's sweaty and it's already kind of stinky a little bit. And so we would touch somebody and we'd say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we would just on and on and on forever and ever. Amen. Right? And it's just something that we did. And we didn't really know, most people didn't know what they were saying. They just kind of mumbled along while some of the other guys knew, you know, us knew what we were doing. It becomes ritual. And, but the, the, the very nature of prayer is relationship. Is relationship. I think what, um, if I'm honest, I think sometimes we prefer ritual because ritual is simple. It's, it's efficient. It's, it's something that, um, that it's, it's, we can just put it on our checklist. We can hit it and we, and we can be done and we can go on about our, our day. We want, to know that we're doing, we want to know that we're doing it right, and so we just say what, what Jesus tells us to say. But relationship requires work. Relationship requires humility. A laying down of our personal desires for the sake of others. It requires time. It requires distraction from our, from our busy schedules. And it varies day to day. That's what relationship takes. And so we're looking at our prayer life. Or we, we're asking ourselves, is it about our relationship with God or is it about a ritual? There's um, a scripture. So uh, Jesus is teaching us. He says, pray like this in the Sermon on the Mount. Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never, what? Knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's, I, I believe this speaks to the nature of what Jesus' desire is, is that he desires relationship. He desires, yes, that, we, that, that through our relationship with him, that we serve him, but that he desires to know us. 
It's totally possible to live our whole lives serving God, yet totally miss knowing God. And so this is why we must be intentional with our time with Jesus. So when we talk about our, our, our prayer life, we are intentional, intentionally looking at the scriptures and building relationship with him. So how are we supposed to pray then? Let's begin here. Our Father in heaven. Okay, let's stop. <laughs> just a couple of things I'd like to point out. It's easy for modern day Christians to read this, just, to just blow right through this. One, because it's familiar. And two, because um, we, 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 we're familiar with the idea of God as our Father. But if we put ourselves in the seat of the original audience, right, the Jews and the Pharisees and the, the culture surrounding this teaching, this statement is mind-blowing. It is shock, a shock to the system. Because in traditional Jewish culture, they would not even utter the name of God, of, of the God Most High, which we know today as Yahweh. In fact, it, traditional uh, Greek scholars don't even, aren't even really sure of how to pronounce Yahweh because it was said so little because of the reverence of his name, Yahweh. And I don't know if you caught it, but we sang this morning a bridge that said, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's just something that is, that is accessible to us. And that's the holiness of him. But, but, but Jesus says we can say our Father. By addressing God as Father, we are first confessing to him, but we are reminding ourselves of our relationship with him. He is our Father. Um, Pastor Chris opened this series up last week beautifully in discussing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. It says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of him? Uh, a favorite author of mine in his book, uh, Habits of Grace, he says this about, this about this verse. He says this, It, prayer, has underneath it not an iron human will, but an extraordinarily attentive divine Father who is eager to give good gifts, to give good gifts to those who ask him. He wants to hear. He wants to interact. And he is ever more ready to hear us than we are to pray. Here's the beauty of God being our Father. We can come as we are. We can come as we are because he loves us. As our Father, He wants to hear from us. We have His ear. I want to take a quick poll. How many of you in here um, could sleep through just about anything? Right? So there's a hurricane going on outside. You sleep right through it. There's fireworks from Disney popping above your, your roof in the middle of the night. They're testing fireworks or something, and you never hear it, and you just sleep right through everything. That, that used to be me. Right? Now, how many of us are the flip side of that? We hear like Disney's cast like thinking about like setting off fireworks in the middle of the night and we're just up, right? Or we, we think we hear like spiders crawling across the, the floor in the middle of the night, like the hardwood or whatever, and, and we're just up. And that's, um, I used to be a heavy sleeper in the, until we brought home my, our son. Um, and uh, those parents with young ones laugh because you understand. I, but I would begin to sleep a lot lighter in anticipation of the needs of this infant that has been placed in my home. 
I would be, I would, uh, just in my sleep, I would, I would listen for this cry and be attuned for his needs. And I thought that would go away as, as, as he grew older and um, he no longer needed a bottle in the middle of the night. And there, there might be times here and there. But, but then he learned how to climb out of his crib. And it was like a whole other game. Like there's doors slamming now. There's like the fridge is opening. and everything. I'm like, what is going on? And so that's it. It's like I'm a, officially I'm a light sleeper now. <laughs> so that he, but when this infant came into my care, I was attentive to his needs. So God, he's not asleep. I can promise you that. But he is a father who is attentive to our needs. We have his ear. And so along with his desire to hear from us, we can say our father in heaven. So our father in heaven. And I think the temptation here is as we're thinking about God, and we, yes, we identify with him as our father, we can say, oh, he's in heaven. And so we just think he's like up there somewhere, and he's on his throne, and he's in, you know, he has angels all around him, and they're singing his praise, and he just has nothing to do with us down here. And I think the temptation is to read this that way, but that's not the case. You see, that's not what scripture even teaches. Prior to this teaching where Jesus said this, at least twice his disciples heard this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First, John the Baptist in preparing the way of Jesus. And then, and that was in Matthew 3, 2. And then Jesus says it in Matthew four seventeen: repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of heaven. He came that to bring with him God the Father. And so this is a thread that is woven throughout the Gospels where Jesus says in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 14, 11, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And then in his final, final prayer for his disciples before he is to be crucified, he says this, Jesus prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And we are one. The story of Jesus is about heaven invading earth. So we can pray our Father who loves us dearly, we have his ear in heaven, wait a second, you are near to us because of Jesus, because of the nearness of Jesus. He came to eliminate that space. Jesus exchanged the throne of his kingdom for the cross of ours. Jesus exchanged the throne of the kingdom for the cross of ours. We who thought, or who, he who thought he was in form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross. Ephesians 2, 6 through 8. That's what Jesus did for us. He ushered in the kingdom of heaven. And he, Jesus, believes that we have, we have to ingrain in us this understanding and remind ourselves that our Father, who is in heaven, is also near. And we need to daily align ourselves with that. But then he says, take it a step further and say this, hallowed be your name. And if you, maybe if you grew up in church, or, or if you didn't grow up in church, but maybe if you did, that word like hallowed, 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 like it's kind of a strange word, right? It's like we don't really use that in our language. 
So the original Greek of that word translates in two ways. One is to hollow, and the other is to sanctify. So we can read that as our Father in heaven, sanctified is your name. To sanctify means to set apart. Your name is set apart as holy. And again, why is this important? If we're a, if we're a Jew listening to Jesus' teaching, we know the importance put on names. Dallas Willard, um, a great theologian, had this to say about names. He said, they partake of the reality that they refer to. They partake of the reality that they refer to. So a name could be descriptive. So for some of us, that tradition has carried on throughout history. I have the privilege of being 95% Italian, pretty much. Um, I, thought it was, I thought it was 100, and then I did the like, thing where I spit, and, and then it came back 95. I was like, my whole life is a lie. No, I'm just kidding. But my last name is Bracci. My last, and that translates to strong arm. So yeah, I'm just saying that. Um, the, the point here is that Jesus was saying that God is our Father who is near, and He is also set apart. And He is holy. His name is holy. And so He alone is able to do the things that we ask. No matter what it is that we ask, He can do it all. And He is holy. What Jesus wants us to understand is every time we pray is that we are praying to a Father who is near that is legitimately the best there is, there was, and there ever will be. And there is nothing that we ask of him that he can't do. All right, so now that we've covered the opening of the prayer, let me begin my message here. Um, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so he, sa- he goes on to say, So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done. At first glance, this is a totally normal prayer to pray, right? We can look around and say, this world is broken and jacked up, and Lord, we need you to come, right? But let me caution you with this, because before we can ask for God to send his kingdom, we need to know what his kingdom is. So the question is, what is the kingdom of God? And I want scripture to to answer that for us. In Psalm 103, 19, the psalmist says, The Lord, and that Lord there, Yahweh, is what that, why it's all caps. So Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. You see how it refers to the rule of his kingdom. See, God's kingdom is not a realm or a people, but it's his rule and his reign. Let me say that again because it's kind of wordy. God's kingdom is not a realm or a people. It's where his rule and his reign is. Pastor Chris and I were kind of teasing this out at one point this week, and he put it this way. The kingdom of of God is where there is no resistance to what God wants. Where there is no resistance to what God wants. God's kingdom is where his will is done perfectly. And so when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we are saying is, God, do with us what you want, and we will not object We will do nothing to get in your way. When we talk about the kingdom, we talk about his authority and sovereignty as the king is who he is. I want to show you how this took place early on in Scripture. Uh, I want to tell the tale of two kings. 
Um, and this, is, this comes from Daniel chapter 4 and 5. And so if you're familiar with the story of Daniel, there was this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who invades Jerusalem, and he overthrows the king of Judah, and he takes the best of their kingdom, and he brings them back to his kingdom. And that, that included young men who had been working out. They were in great physique, and they were good power, and he put them to their servants. And if, and if you remember, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he sent three of those young men into the fiery furnace where they didn't burn up. Instead, there was a fourth person seen there, and, and the rest is history, right? And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes to a point in his reign where God has had enough, and he gives him a proposition. He says, I'm going to take your sanity away. You're going to be like an ox out in the fields eating of the grass. I'm going to take your sanity from you. And it says this in Daniel 4:32: until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to who he wills. So King Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful king that has overthrown Jerusalem and the, Jude, and the king of Judah, I'm going to take your sanity away until you know that it is the Most High who rules all kingdoms and gives it to whoever he wants. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had a choice. He can either humble himself before that God, or he can stay like an ox and wild man just out without a kingdom, without anybody following him. And it says, when his sanity has come to me, he humbled himself before the Lord and acknowledging God at the Most High. And, he's, and his kingdom and his sanity was restored. So there was a choice there. The following chapter, in chapter 5, we see King Belshazzar. Now, he's a little less popular, probably because his life came to a quick end, and here's why. The same prophecy was kind of given to him, except instead of taking his sanity, the prophecy was that God would take his life. And it says in Daniel 5.22 that King Belshazzar lifted himself up against the Lord in heaven, and he dropped dead, and his life came to an end. And I say that to, say, to, to, to reveal to you from the beginning of time, God has had ultimate authority of all the kingdoms that have existed. And yet here we also find ourselves where Jesus is bringing it, ushering in the kingdom of God. And so that kind of raises a question of like, well, if his kingdom has already existed, yet Jesus brings it, yet we still live in a world that's broken and sinful and messed up. Like what? Uh, there's, there can be some confusion here. And I want to say this, we live somewhere between the already of what Jesus has done for us by ushering in the kingdom and the not yet, which is God's ultimate rule and reign where, there is no, where we are free from sin and death and we are in perfect community with him. And that is why we are to pray, God, Lord, bring your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we live with this realization of God's kingdom is available to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the while, we are still praying, Lord, send your kingdom here and now. And, and this is a prayer of total surrender. Your rule and your reign here and now. As, and believers, it starts with us. I absolutely believe that when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, send your kingdom to our broken world and our upside-down culture. We should be praying, Lord, send your kingdom to our lost neighbors and our messed-up neighborhoods. It only takes about five minutes on your neighborhood Facebook page to know just how messed up your neighborhoods are, right? 
We should even be praying, God, send your kingdom to our homes, to our children, to our, our spouses, to our parents and our in-laws and our, and our grandparents. Send your kingdom here. But it must start with the prayer, God, send your kingdom. Bring your kingdom in our hearts. Begin a work in me. Have full rule and reign in my life. In Luke 11, something interesting happens here. The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. Because he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And they think it's just going to happen. And he says, he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's Luke 11:21. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, something special happens when believers live lives of total surrender to the reign of God. And his kingdom begins to build in the midst of us. So how can we do this? When we leave here today, my desire is for us, to, for, for, for you and me, to take three fruit-producing actions home with us. Action number one, proper position. We got to plant the tree in proper position. And that is to join the family. Is God, your Father? Have you come to the place where you have put your faith in Jesus, where he gives us access to God as our Father, where, where God comes near and the Spirit of God dwells within us? Ephesians 1.5 says, In love he predestined for us, us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God's desire, his, his design, and his purpose is to adopt us into his family as believers. And so that is your number one most important need today. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, to do that, to become a part of the family, to properly plant yourself where you have unlimited access to the Son. Second action. Action number two, we need to prune, which is surrender to the King. If God is holy, and if his, which he is, if his kingdom is his complete reign, which it is, therefore we must surrender. In our prayer life, and um, like in general, we need to prune. We need to cut away the things that are keeping us from going to God on a regular, on a regular um, access. And the things that are keeping us from surrendering to him. So my question is, what is keeping you from allowing God's complete rule and reign in your life? Is it your finances? Because he wants to rule and reign that area where we trust him for our daily bread. We're going to talk about that next week. Is it, is it your, your, your spouse? Is it your kids? We need to, I'm not saying you need to prune away your kids. But what I'm saying is that we need to trust God with the things that get in the way of our relationship with him. Some of us have things that we need to lay down at our feet. Maybe it's our worry. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's, it's things that, we, that he wants to do good in our lives for. And so we prune. We cut those away so that we can enter into relationship with him more wholly. And that is action number three. We need to pollinate, which is to pursue the kingdom. If God is our father, which he is, 
And if he perfectly loves, which he does, therefore we should seek time to be with him regularly. Not just do for him, but to be with him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-17 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God in Christ Jesus for you is to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. That means not stopping all day, every day. We're just in constant communication with God. And then to give thanks in all circumstances. Can I say this? Your current circumstances are not an indication of God's love for you. Let me say it this way. What you are going through right now is not an indication of how much God loves you. And how do I know that? Because he put Jesus on a cross. If he loved Jesus, if we, if we followed that logic, then he didn't love Jesus when he put him on the cross. But he loved us and he loved Jesus so much that he did put Jesus on the cross. And so what you're going through now does not indicate how much God loves you. He loves you even so. And so I think, I think it's interesting here as I wrap up, the, the, looking at the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, which is um, the, another gospel telling of this story, the people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples, who had sat under his teaching, who walked with him, who ate with him, who slept, um, they, they slept in close quarters with him, and they shared meals and clothes. And what, the people that were closest to Jesus, they said this. They said, they, they heard him pray, and then they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what Jesus did, he walked into this, and then he, then he started the Lord's Prayer saying, you should pray like this. But the people who were closest to him that saw him praying, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I think, I think that for some of us who are here every single week, who share, who have a desire to share the gospel at our jobs and with our neighbors, and we are serving faithfully, and we're at all the spring flings, and we're at all of the, all of the, the, the women's breakfasts and the men's breakfasts, and we're doing all of that. Our hearts should be, Lord, teach us to pray. Make that a priority in our lives. And then we can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, have your way in me. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up today's time together, just like we did last week. And we're actually going to say the Lord's Prayer as, together as a community, not as a repetitious thing, but as a chance for it to bathe in our minds and in our hearts the reality of the beauty of it, that God is our Father, that He is near that he is holy, that he is ready and willing to do good in our lives, that his kingdom will reign in our hearts and in our minds. So stand with me, and we're going to have it on the screen up here. Let's read it together. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.
Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.